Hey everybody, this is the House of Shade, and today's episode is co-hosted by Red-Eyed Bear and Bullish Silk, and we're joined by S-Beam from Shade Protocol, who's one of the devs helping build out the Shade Lend product. In today's episode, we discuss lending markets and mechanisms, we get an overview of Shade Lend and how it will complement other Shade DeFi primitives, we dive into liquidation markets and revenue streams, then we explore the differences in lending products, and finally, we get some alpha and reflect on Shade's position within the DeFi space. Now let's jump right in and join Red-Eyed Bear and Bullish Silk for our conversation with S-Beam on Shade's newest primitive, Shade Lend. All right, and we're live. Thank you guys for joining us here. We've got an awesome topic to talk to you guys about today. I'm Red-Eyed Bear, and I'm joined here by my co-host. I'm Bullish Silk. And we're here with S-Beam to talk to you guys today about Shade Lend. Uh, really happy you could join us today, man. Glad to be here. Um, I'm really excited to talk about what, we're, what we've been building for the last few months. Yeah. Before we get into talking about the actual lending product, um, I want to give you a chance to talk to or give us a little bit of information about your time in the blockchain industry and kind of what led up to you being here developing for Shade Protocol. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'll give some general background about uh, myself and the team. Um, so the Lend product is being built by uh, three devs. There's me, uh, then there's Hoop, and there's Red. And uh, all three of us are our friends. We've all been working in, in fintech for a while. Um, uh, in my case, I've been a dev for, I mean, I've been a dev since I was a kid, and I became a professional dev maybe about 10 years ago. Um, and I've been in a few different industries. I worked in defense uh, for a while. I worked in a, a couple of different startups doing data analytics and uh, uh, system security. And uh, I actually run an engineering company as well, uh, uh, sort of like an outsourcing company. And um, on the blockchain side of things, uh, I've been following blockchain since, since the inception of Bitcoin. Um, I remember reading about the whole 10,000 Bitcoin pizza pizzas. Uh, I lost money at empty Gox. Um, and I'm still here today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, in, in terms of DeFi development and stuff, uh, recently, uh, maybe last year, in the, in the last year or so, I, I was an avalanche developer. Originally, I was doing arbitrage trading and, and liquidation uh, stuff. I did some contributions to uh, a lending protocol there called Orca DAO, a uh, small project. Um, and uh, I met I, I met Hoop and Red uh, through work, and uh, the three of us wanted to build a DeFi protocol that uh, captures some value that the rest of the market was not seeing. Uh, so we got together and we said, you know, look at all these different primitives. There's swapping, there's there's lending, there's yield farming, etc. They're all capturing value to different tokens. They're all in separate user experiences. If you ever had to onboard somebody into crypto, it's it's a nightmare. They got to go to like 10 different websites. Uh, so we had the idea. We were trying to pick the right network. We found secret network. And then we're like, oh, Shade Protocol's already doing that. So uh, we got in contact with them. Our visions aligned perfectly. Uh, we came up with a proposal. We found a, a relationship that worked. And here we are. Uh, we've, been, we've been working together for uh, about five or six months now. Uh, and it's, it, I have nothing but good things to say about our experience here. That's awesome to hear, man. I, I find it interesting that a lot of the developers that we've been talking to that decide to build 
within the secret or on top of the secret secret network come from data analytics, security backgrounds. Like, I don't know if it's just like you're realizing what data and, and uh, security postures are out there that most most people are just unaware of and that the, the amount of data that can be taken advantage of. And so uh, I, I find it interesting that a lot of these people that are in those fields eventually come over to Secret Network to build to leverage this privacy preservation. Yeah, it's it's a really it's 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 cutting edge. Like by default, everything on Secret Network is innovative because it's private, uh, which is awesome. I mean, privacy is is fundamental to finance. There is privacy in traditional finance, and that's what makes it work. Um, you know. The example everybody always gives is uh, if you go to the grocery store and you swipe your credit card, the cashier doesn't have your full transaction history and they shouldn't and they can't. Um, so Secret Network is really the only place where that's possible right now. Yeah. And I, I'm i going to bring us back to privacy later on as we're talking about the lending product. Um, but I guess for anyone that is more of just a, a novice uh, user or just like a, a new user in crypto, maybe the Cosmos ecosystem or really just any general uh, crypto ecosystem, I would say a lot of new users aren't familiar with lending protocols. I can say with complete honesty that I didn't really know anything about lending protocols until about a month or two ago. I was just a very simple simple user like staking small amounts of lping that's where i was looking for yield um but then i heard about lending and when i thought about it like how prevalent lending is in traditional finance uh markets just made me kind of realize the opportunity that's available in DeFi as well um so could you give us just a um a quick rundown of effectively how lending markets work from a, a broader view um like how they actually work yeah. Um, so like the, the basic idea is just that it's a it's a vessel for people to get money that they don't own. Um, and in the in the traditional finance world, there's there's collateralized loans and secured loans where you, you put up an asset that has value and somebody else will give you money. And if you don't pay them back, they keep your asset. But pawn shop is an example of that as well. Uh, you know, you can give up jewelry. They give you money. If you don't pay the money back, they take your jewelry away. Um, in the real world, you also have enforcement. Um, so there's unsecured loans like credit cards. Uh, and if you don't pay your money back, even though you have no collateral, uh, they can take you to court. In the case of the government, they can put you to they can put you in jail. Um, obviously, in the DeFi world, it's it's different. Uh, we don't we don't have the ability to put people in jail. Thank God. Um, and uh, so all lending in DeFi is collateralized in in some way. Uh, and the way it becomes useful. Uh, there's actually a, a I can talk about this for hours about how it's useful, but uh, in general, you have something that you you that has value. You don't want to sell it, but you want to do something with the money, right? Let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars in Bitcoin, uh, but you don't want to sell right now because the price of Bitcoin is is not good. You can use that Bitcoin as collateral, and let's say if you only need ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars, you can borrow ten or twenty percent of the value of that collateral and go do something with it. Uh, there's other ways to use lending, like like leverage trading and, and stuff. Uh, I'm not going to go into that right now, but uh, that's just the general idea to to unlock money that is currently locked, I guess. Yeah, and I would, I guess when I first started thinking about this, and maybe this is why I wasn't initially interested in it, was 
I would assume that these lending protocols or lending markets would be most often used by individuals with more wealth. Um, you know, as someone who might not have a whole lot of assets to collateralize, I might not, even though it may be similar percentage wise, like the actual money you're seeing uh, come out on the other side, like what you can uh, borrow against your assets is smaller. Um, I was, these, these lending products in DeFi, um, would you say that they're uh, useful and applicable to all different types of end users or are they mainly geared and focused towards particular types of users? I think they're useful for everybody for different reasons. Uh, you know, the example I gave, not everybody has $100,000 with Bitcoin. Um, but um, so like, so that particular use case might not be appealing to you if you, d if you don't have that much money. But in terms of, of leverage trading, for example, um, you know, that's something that's very appealing to lower net worth people because uh, that allows you to gain more money. Um, you know, if you only have $1,000, but you want to trade like you've got $10,000 uh, through lending, you can do that. Um, there's more to it than that, of course. You know, you have to be a careful trader, but, um, you know, it's, it's possible through lending. Um, and then, like you said, it, it's a game of percentages anyway. So even a small portfolio would benefit if they have, you know, long-term assets that they want to hold. If you're bullish on shade and you want to accrue shade and every paycheck you're putting in more shade and you're staking it, you want to keep getting that staking yield, but you also want to do something with the money. You can keep using that staked shade as collateral and keep borrowing against it to keep doing other things. You know, it, uh, there's all kinds of opportunities. It's, it's endless. Uh, lending really is the foundation of a financial system and it's appealing to everybody. So, um, so do you have anything uh, you want to add to this before we get to our next stuff? Uh, I, I just wanted to say really quickly that um, while uh, it doesn't necessarily help um, some of the lower net worth individuals um, as far as like taking out loans to like an unsecured loan to like, I don't know, say buy something that's more expensive since they don't have that it still gives them access that they may not traditionally have in the tra like uh, traditional finance world. So even if you do only have a thousand bucks, but you wanted to borrow 200 against it, some of the bigger companies that issue loans have like kind of thresholds that you have to meet certain incomes um, when that, that doesn't necessarily exist in this space. So that, uh, that is kind of nice as well. So I guess maybe let's get into uh, some of the more detailed specifics about, the shade lend product, what it looks like, and then maybe some of the 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 key differences uh, or or points to highlight about what shade lend will be able to do, or what uh, aspects of the product it, it can offer that differ from other popular products in the market right now. Sure. Uh, so I, I guess I'll start with the, the the general paradigm that we're operating under is anti fragility. Uh, not just a system that works, a system that can't break um, under no circumstances, even in the most extreme, will it break. And in the pursuit of that, uh, in building and designing Lend, and we're basing it off of existing proven models that, that have absorbed uh, significant volatility that, have, that, have, that uh, are economically sound. MakerDAO and Abracadabra are the two big ones. Uh, so the, the general idea is that you have isolated risk markets and an isolated risk market means that uh, let's say you have Bitcoin and you have Ethereum, you wanna get loans against both of these things. Uh, if Bitcoin goes down and Ethereum doesn't, 
then only your Bitcoin position is at risk, not your Ethereum position. So the risk of each position is isolated by each type of collateral. Uh, and then the other thing that they, that, uh, they, they all have their own parameters as well. So the interest rate for a Bitcoin loan is different than the interest rate for an Ethereum loan, for example. Um, and what you borrow is silk and, and it can be any token, but in this case, it's, it's silk. And when you borrow that silk, it's pretty much created out of thin air. It's minted. Um, and the backing for that silk is your collateral of the loan. So the silk that comes out is over collateralized. There is more than $1 of backing for every dollar of silk that enters circulation through lend. Um, in addition, uh, the fees and the interest get added to your debt. So the amount of silk that you have to pay back is greater than the amount of silk that we put into circulation, which puts uh, pressure on the silk supply to, to go downward a little bit. Uh, it's, it's only a couple of percent per year, but um, it's, it's a little bit. It's, it's counteractive. It counteracts inflation. Um, and then uh, when the loans get paid back, the silk gets burnt out of circulation. Um, so the, the net result is that um, silk is safer and, uh, and there's this, there's this expansion and, and contraction mechanism that helps people, uh, or that helps silk, uh, stay at its peg because, uh, the lending protocol treats silk at whatever the pegged value is, regardless of the market price. Um, so using a dollar as an example, to keep it simple, uh, let's say Sienna swap has a silk pool and silk is trading at 95 cents. If you have a loan, you can buy that silk for 95 cents. And if you pay back your loan with that silk, the protocol treats it as a dollar. So it becomes advantageous to buy the cheap silk, driving the market price back up. That's taking it out of circulation because effectively the reason the silk is cheaper is because there's too much supply, right? So we're taking the supply out in that case. And the reverse happens uh, in, in the expansion case. If, if silk is trading at a dollar and five cents, then it becomes advantageous to take out a loan and immediately sell the silk to capitalize on that free money, driving the price back down. So in concert with all the other uh, stability mechanisms that we have, this is another layer of security that, uh, again, it, it aligns with that anti-fragile ethos. Um, and uh, again, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're going with what already works that MakerDAO and Abracadabra have already proven. Um, and then we're using that as a foundation to innovate off of. I got to say, I, I love hearing uh, the fact that you pulled inspiration from uh, some of these older models, uh, coupled with the fact that you've effectively been aware and kind of in the blockchain space, basically since its inception, it's given you the opportunity to learn from all of these projects and groups that came before you effectively, mm -hmm. pick out what worked really well, be able to shy away from what didn't and be able to learn and build on top of that. Um, and obviously... Personally, for me, I think one of the, the most important aspects of what Shadeland is going to be providing, not only um, not only silk stability, uh, giving some flexibility to users to be able to borrow against uh, assets, but just the fact that privacy is woven into this product. Um, I feel like there are a lot of pitfalls that um, that have been exposed with other projects could be circumnavigated uh, using privacy, or at least the, the risk that they pose can be mitigated um, greater than without privacy. Yeah, definitely one of the biggest things, probably the single biggest thing with, with any lending protocol is that uh, 
when it's not private, you know where all the collateral is. You know where the liquidation prices are. And if you're a whale who's providing a lot of LP and you want to exploit that, you can. You know, especially if you if you work with with MEV, you know, liquidator bots. Uh, I know that well. Uh, <laughs> you you can you can make a lot of money doing underhanded things, uh, and and that's only possible because that information is public. And in this case, that information won't be public, yeah. um, and that's really important. That protects the users more than anything, which is what we want to do, obviously. Yeah, it really is. It's a, it's such an underrated utility that the, the rest of the the DeFi space will will learn learn very soon. So, um, can you tell us about how Shade Shade Lend complements the other primitives that are being built in the Shade ecosystem? Yeah, that's actually one of the the, the biggest things that that Lend is enabling because, uh, like, that's why I said that we're trying to go with the whole anti-fragile thing. If this works and it needs to work, uh, we enable all kinds of synergies across all these other primitives. Um, there is a lot that I that I can't say that I really want to, uh, but some simple ones are are things like. Uh, one-click and even zero-click leverage, much more analogous to what you would, you would see on a traditional brokerage application. Uh, for example, having a buying power, your swaps are automatically routed into collateral pools and automatically borrowed mm. more. You automatically borrow more against that. Uh, that's a, it's a vastly improved user experience on the swap side that is challenging to do when you don't have access to the swap contracts and the lending contracts. Um, and it's also more gas efficient because uh, you don't have to, it, normally what you'd have to do is uh, basically do like 10 or 20 loop transactions to, to leverage up. And in, in this case, we don't have to do that. Um, there's, there's things like uh, bonds, for example, we can accept bonds as collateral. Uh, a bond is something that would vest over time, but you can unlock the immediate value of it with a loan. Um, things like insurance positions, uh, if we accept insurance positions as collateral, uh, necessarily insurance is uncorrelated. It's literally the opposite, depending on what you're insuring. Yeah. Um, so you can take out an insurance position and that's also strong collateral. Uh, in particular, uh, that's interesting because the collateral that we accept on Lend is backing for Silk. And the more diverse the collateral base is and the more uncorrelated it is, the stronger Silk is. Um, you know, part of that anti-fragile ethos is uh, not planning for normal market conditions, but planning for the tail risk, planning for the worst that could possibly happen. Um, and, and having a hedge against the worst is super powerful. Uh, and then like encompassing all of this is, is because we're, we're protocols talking to each other, uh, there's, there's capital efficiency. You know, we don't have to charge ourselves fees to do things, or we can charge ourselves reduced fees to do things. The unified user experience is more palatable to the average user so we can not only take users from other DeFi protocols, which is pretty much what every DeFi protocol is trying to do, you know, trying to capture existing crypto users. But what we really need is new money and new inflows and a better user experience that brings in crypto naive people that is, that is more analogous to what they would expect on like a Robinhood or like a Fidelity. It's huge. Um, and that's like a that's like a soft synergy, but like it's it's underappreciated in my opinion. Um, I would say that's all kinds almost, of other things, but I would say it it almost makes me think of the benefits that you get to see from centralization, like your the that protocol communication, like the different uh, applications being able to talk together and work together effectively all on the same page. Like you're getting some of the benefits of centralization, like you said, efficiency. Uh, capital efficiency, um, but 
it's it's like a different form of centralization. It's it's not really they they were built this way to be this way. The ownership of the DAO and and governance that's all still decentralized, but the way that they work together is uh, more. You could view it as more centralized, I guess. Yeah, I, and like so, like there are benefits to vertical integration. This is this is one of the first ones that I've seen on the on the application layer, and I think that's great for not fractionalizing user experience. Like if you go over to Ethereum, they have you know so many builders building so many different things, uh, but very quickly you know you're holding a hundred different coins and in a hundred different ecosystems, trying to juggle a hundred different relationships, and so. I do. I think, you know, there, there are obviously a lot of downsides to centralization. I don't even like to really use the word, but the vertical integration of what this tech stack is doing is just, it's a beautiful thing to, to see unfolding, honestly. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, when I was giving the intro, this is, this is exactly what I thought uh, DeFi needed. Um, that's what the other devs who've been read thought DeFi needed. That's what Shade Protocol thought DeFi uh, needed. And it looks like the market agrees so far. Yeah. Um, so I'm pumped. So when when you were initially describing the the Shade Lin product, my mind almost immediately went to um, to like how much can the protocol actually interact with uh, the product? So like if we're focusing more on the liquidation side of your of your Lin product, could the protocol be involved with uh, with buying up some of these liquidations? Um, like. I guess you want you still want sort of it's the sort of same uh, scenario with the Sky Arb bot. You want retail uh, investors to be able to capture some of those uh, liquidations and premiums. Like you don't want it to all be just the protocol, uh, because then you are becoming centralized in a in a more negative uh, connotation. Um, so if you could provide any clarity um, there about how much the protocol can actually interact with uh, the Lend product in the liquidations market? Sure. Um, I would say, broadly speaking, uh, any interactions that the protocol has with itself is uh, primarily in the interest of protocol holders. Um, so what I mean by that is the protocol is going to be executing, is going to be orchestrating the liquidations, but the money from the liquidations isn't going to the protocol. Um, the protocol yeah. will take a small percentage of the of the fees, but ultimately the people who get the money from the liquidations are the people supplying the money that is liquidating. Um, mm -hmm. So the way liquidations are going to work on Lend, uh, we've kind of been going back and forth uh, with a couple different models. Uh, I, in the past, we were gonna we were gonna do the anchor style of liquidation where there's there's bidding premiums where you can bid, uh, you know, buy the asset at a 3% discount, at a 5% discount, 20% discount, et cetera. Um, and the, the alternative is that there would be a single pool that is just silk that's set aside. And whenever there's a liquidation, we liquidate using that silk. We sell the collateral for silk. We put it back into the pool as yield for the depositors. And the, the premium, the discount, is uh, calculated somehow. Uh, this is a few different competing ideas. Um, I think we're going to go with the stability pool route and have a variable liquidation discount. Reason being, uh, two big reasons. The first is user experience. Um, uh, looking at how users feel about using, for example, Kujira or, or just any other anchor uh, liquidation queue front end, it's confusing. Uh, there's a lot of numbers, there's a lot of graphs, uh, and 
If you're not a power user, that can be intimidating. And liquidations are hard enough to get into. This is just another barrier. Uh, the other thing is that it, it actually doesn't get you that much in normal market conditions. And in fact, it, it's actually less capital efficient for the liquidators because uh, you know most liquidators are going to be happy taking that one or two percent discount under market conditions, and it's like that's not that much incentive. Yeah. But when things get really bad, like they like it did recently, then everyone's going to start liquidating at max, you know, 25, 30 percent, which just accelerates the bank run. So that's not anti-fragile at all. You know, that's that's yeah. when things are good, it's not as good, and when things are bad, it's even worse. It's it's the worst mm. possible combination. Yeah. Um, and then like on top of that, it's harder to use. So. Uh, I don't think it really gets us what we need. Uh, I think that that single stability pool is is what we're going to go for. Um, and in particular, that's interesting because uh, one of the things that we really want to do is have silk deposit accounts that generate sustainable yield. You know, we don't want to have uh, money printing out of thin air, uh, but we want to provide a way for people to make money with their silk. That needs to be the primary utility. And... Uh, taking these this, this, this silk from these deposit accounts and routing a portion of it into these stability pools, uh, it's, it's a very safe and a pretty much guaranteed way for people to gain positive yield with very little downside risk, almost no downside risk. Um, and uh, it's, it's sort of uh, counter-cyclical. You know, when, when the market is good, people are going to generate yield from things like people taking out loans. And when the market's bad, people are going to be generating yield from uh, liquidations. So the, the silk depositors are always going to win. Uh, that's only possible with, with this style of, of uh, liquidation. It, with, the, with the queues and the bidding premiums, that becomes a lot more challenging. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that that will, you know, absolutely enhance the uh, the user experience on the front. And I love that you guys are thinking about that because that's that is one of the, the driving principles of this protocol is not sacrificing anything in the name of uh, tokenomics for user experience. Um, so can you just touch really quickly on um, on how the revenue from Shadeland will be distributed to Shade Stakers? Yeah, um, so I actually don't know the, the exact specifics, but broadly speaking, um, the, the there's like as I mentioned, there's gonna be two fees. There's a borrowing fee, which is charged upfront, um, and there's an interest fee, which is charged, which is an annualized fee. Um, we realize those fees upfront. Um, so when the silk is minted, uh, the, the corresponding borrowing fee is, is minted into the treasury. And then um, the interest as it accrues is minted into the treasury as well. It's made up for once the interest, when, once the, the loan is paid back. Um, so there's there's a very small percentage of, of silk inflation as a result. It ends up being somewhere around half a percent to 0.75% at any, any given time based on uh, the models that we've been looking at. Um, and of course, that that inflation is controllable, depending on uh, how if we mobilize the silk. Uh, if we never touch the silk in the treasury that comes from lend, it's zero percent inflation. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, that can that can be governed by the protocol, uh, you know, through voting. And then, uh, so that money can then be used under any economic policy. Uh, we'll, we would likely keep some of it. Uh, we would likely distribute some of it as yield to silk depositors and shade stakers. We would trade some of it out for uh, other stables and other assets. Um, I, don't, I don't know exactly what the economic policy is going to be, but it's going to be silk into the treasury that we then do whatever with. I'll say that 
Well, you're, you're highlighting there is one of the beautiful parts of Shade Protocol where you have the flexibility and optionality to distribute the revenue that you're generating from Lynn to all these different places. Like you want to make sure you're you're accountable to the stakers, the people that are providing a lot of value and stability uh, to the DAO. You also want to make sure you're setting up the Lynn product to be able to uh, be as healthy as possible, like having reserves able to be deployed um, and being it, I don't know this. The, your description of how the, this revenue, even if it's not concrete right now, it just gets the gears in my head turning about how many things can support each other. Like we could get to the point where you know Shade has ten to fifteen different D apps, and all of them are supporting each other in some form or fashion. Whether it's revenue share providing services, I mean the the possibilities are seemingly. Uh, endless, not endless, but there's a lot of opportunity there for yeah, uh, collaboration. Pretty close to endless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, if we take a, a step back from Shade Lend specifically and look at lending products in general, um, what what things would you advise people to look at when they're looking at different uh, lending primitives they might want to get involved with. What things would you suggest end users to, to look at, to, to gauge how safe is it? Um, you know, how sustainable are their yields? Um, you know, from someone looking from the outside that is barely familiar with lending product, I guess it's similar to looking at a, you know, like an L1 or, or really any blockchain, if you're not familiar with it, like you don't know what to look at. It's kind of just, you have all this information in front of you and you have to parse it and figure out what has value and what doesn't. That's a tough question. Um, it, it depends on the style of lending protocol as well. Um, so there's, there's different kinds of lending. Sienna Lend uh, is obviously the, the, the premier lending protocol on Secret Network right now. Uh, it's a very different type of lending protocol that's called a money market. If you know about Ave or Ben Shi or something like that, that's that. Those are also money markets, um, and in that case, you're not you're not borrowing a, a token that they create. You know, you're you're borrowing and and depositing tokens into a common pool. So you're depositing Bitcoin and you're borrowing Secret, and the Bitcoin you deposited is now eligible to be borrowed by other people. Um, so it's it's much more asset focused. You know, if you're going to borrow Bitcoin on Sienna Lend, uh, your primary analysis is is Bitcoin good or bad, right? Uh, with a protocol like like uh, Shade Lend, what we're doing, uh, the, the one of the risks that you have to analyze is the the stablecoin that you're receiving. Um, so, you know, with Abracadabra, you'd want to make sure that you have confidence in MIM, that you understand what MIM is. Same with Dai at MakerDAO. Same with Silk with us. Um, there's 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 uh, logical things that you can do that you that you wouldn't be able to do with Sienna Lend, for example. Uh, if you believe that if you're bearish on silk, you think it's going to peg downward for whatever reason, you can short it by borrowing silk. Uh, you can't short silk on Sienna Lend. Uh, if they su support it, then maybe maybe you can. But okay. uh, but 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 so your 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 options there are there. You need to pay attention to the coin itself, and then um, obviously you know basic stuff, smart contract risk. You want to make sure that it's audited. Read the audit. If you don't know how to read audits, get a friend who knows how to read audits or learn how to read audits. It's a perfectly good skill. Um, uh, you know, understand the team behind it. Make sure that you trust us. If you have questions, ask us. If uh, 
make sure you understand lending and, and trading, period. You know, if you, if you want to evaluate a lending product, understand how to use margin and leverage in the first place, then use that knowledge to analyze a lending protocol. There's, there's so much into it. Uh, but I guess in summary, the, 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 yeah. the shortest answer I would say is trust Silk. If you trust Silk, then Shade Lend is the product for you. Yeah, I. It's actually surprising to me how many friends I have that uh, are in DeFi that interact with products that they have no idea how they work. They just hear about the yield and they're like, oh, "This sounds fantastic! I <laughs> can't be much risk with that." And uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, distinguishing the difference between Sienna Lend and Shade Lend. Um, the way you're thinking about like what other ways you can approach this, like from leverage trading, what, what you're actually, where your confidence really should be like, yeah, you want confidence that the contracts are, are secure and stable, but also the asset that you're borrowing or borrowing against. Like you want to make sure that you have some sort of uh, faith in that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would, I would add uh, one more thing. Uh, it, when we when it comes to risk assessment, a lot of people, when it comes to lending, focus on things like volatility of the collateral, uh, which is important because you don't want to get liquidated. Uh, but when you're talking about security of the protocol and you're talking about investing in the protocol, um, the the gener general market conditions are rock solid. Um, even in in some really bad catastrophes, liquidations are going to be fine. Uh, the, you know liquidations during a bear market are not going to cause damage to silk. Uh, you know, it's, it's systemic risk. It's, it's a bridge getting hacked and then all the bridge tokens becoming worthless. Uh, you know, it's, it's a token going to zero. It's an Oracle exploit. This is stuff that you, you can't model with volatility. You know, the standard deviation of the historical price is not going to protect you from that. Hmm. Um, so that's why I, I, I kind of stress that point about audits and, and, and understanding audits. And even though they're not bulletproof, but, you really want to have that risk covered because people don't pay attention to smart contract risk. And that's how you go from uh, rich to zero in two seconds. Uh, I guess that definitely, that's got to make you guys think really hard about what assets you're going to allow people to collateralize what, and, and to a further extent, what bridges and bridge partners you want to work with. Um, because if there's any sort of security vulnerability in, in a bridge, then, um, I, I'm I'm not going to claim to know a whole lot about the inner workings of bridge mechanics and how what they're bridging to and from uh, the systemic risks there. But I would imagine that if a bridge breaks, there could be some panic that uh, sets in about people being able to get their assets back onto its native chain, um, and and all sorts of other things. Yeah, and I mean, sadly, it's it's a it's a reality of the ecosystem that we're in. Um, you know, uh, unless we make the bridge, we can't eliminate the bridging risk. But also, if we want to exist in this space, we we have to put some amount of trust in in the bridge. So uh, on our end, it becomes a game of of risk assessment and and uh, and creating a portfolio that's of of collateral and asking the question: If this bridge fails in the most catastrophic way, and every single bridged asset they have goes to zero, what happens to us? And if the answer is that we go down too, then we need to adjust our position. We need to add other assets that aren't reliant on that bridge. We need to reduce our exposure to those bridge assets. It's not a game of confidence. It's not. It's not that you know we don't trust them, but the reality is that we have no choice but to be paranoid. Um, 
And so that's kind of how we're looking at that systemic risk on our end. Yeah, I wonder if there are any Lend products in the market now that like say, for instance, allow the collateral collateralization of like layer two tokens, for instance. I, I just like I haven't seen such a thing, but like, you know, I, I, could you could you bridge over like Matic tokens and then to issue a loan out against that? Like those those kind of calculations for for assessing those risk profiles systemically must be extraordinarily difficult. <laughs> Yeah, and in, in a lot of ways, it's impossible. You know what I mean? Like, how do you actually <laughs> quantify the risk of a given bridge? You know, like I can look at the historical data that you know, what percentage of bridges get exploited, but like there's not enough data for me to make anything. Right. So it, it's it's challenging. It's it's very challenging, and that's why I think from a risk assessment standpoint, we have to assume that uh, this might go to literally zero, and then what? You know. Yeah. But how big of a hit? It's kind of interesting. We're talking about this now, just. Just because the within the past few days, I've started noticing <clears throat> Ethereum assets or or bridged assets on Osmosis, like seeing Axelar, uh, like tokens that they've bridged over. Um, and I know there's a couple other bridges developing in the Cosmos ecosystem, but um, are you guys? I'm assuming you guys are currently in talks and working with uh, some of the bridge partners within the Cosmos right now. I, I personally am not. I'm, I'm sure the rest of the team is, um, uh, but uh, I don't really have much insight into that, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, that's fair enough. I, the only knowledge I had about original bridge partners came from our talks with uh, Kinesis, just because they're they're working on bridging EVM compatible uh, applications um, to the Cosmos, and so obviously you're going to want to be able to bridge over assets from Ethereum to the Cosmos. Um, so I know there's a few, a few bridge partners um, that Evmos and the applications within there are looking at, but I was just curious. Definitely, definitely on our end. Uh, I, I do know that uh, IBC is something that we're really interested in and we want to have like first party IBC support if possible on Lend. Um, what that looks like, I don't know. You know, it could be osmosis bonds as collateral. It, it could be, um, you know, lending, private lending through secret off chain. I mean, there's the possibilities of IBC once it becomes po possible on, on secret network, just there's, there's not enough hours in the day to work on it, honestly. There's definitely not. I, um, I'm curious though, do you have uh, like maybe something that you're the most excited about in regards to Shade Lens interaction with the rest of the protocol? Yeah, the most ex the thing I'm most excited about, I can't say. But <laughs> the second, maybe may, maybe the the two th the two things that really excite me because they excite me equally are uh, under collateralized lending. Uh, if you've heard of Mars Protocol uh, mm -hmm. on on Terra, uh, basically what they do is contract to contract lending, uh, and uh, let's say you want to LP, you want to LP like Bitcoin, Silk and you only have Bitcoin, normally what you do is you'd sell half the Bitcoin for Silk, then put up those two assets into the LP. Uh, in this case, what you could do is put up all your Bitcoin and then the Silk portion would come as a loan from, from us. Uh, you get the yield, we take a performance fee and you pay interest and everything and fees. Uh, that revenue goes to the treasury, goes back to the DAO. And then uh, the Bitcoin that you put up becomes collateral and, you know, just like any other loan, if the if the position becomes under collateralized, we liquidate it and everything's good. 
Um, that's exciting to me because uh, back at the beginning, I said that uh, under-collateralized loans and uncollateralized loans are possible in real life because we can send you to jail. Uh, in DeFi, we can't send you to jail, but what we but this is one of the ways that we can take advantage of the fact that code is law and uh, provide under-collateralized lending. Uh, and that's just, I'm a nerd about finance and that I just <laughs> like that. I, I really, it really appeals to me. Um, and then the other thing is that um, I really believe in this economic model for providing backing for Silk and, and however the Silk model evolves in the future. Um, the fact that everything through Lend is over collateralized, that gives us flexibility. You know, if, if, if for every Silk that goes out through Lend, we have 120% or 130% of that value in stores, it doesn't matter that it's not in our treasury, it's there backing Silk. That makes silk strong, and that's that's what we need. That's what you need in a currency: the confidence that people will, that can take it, and its value will remain what it says it is. Um, and and lend is huge in making sure that happens, both in terms of stability and in terms of backing. It's another stability mechanism to bring the bring the price back to peg, and to to make sure that uh, it maintains its peg. Well said. So um, it just. Thinking about everything that's happened over the past uh, the past few weeks, as we've seen the market going into a downturn, um, it has become more. It's it's always been apparent to me, but it has stayed in the forefront of my mind that we really are, especially since we're dealing with uh, privacy finance, or it's like DeFi, but also uh, add privacy to this. Like we are really at the forefront of innovation and experimentation um, within DeFi. And obviously there are, there are always going to be inherent risks that are against us, whether it's something we can actively try and mitigate, or if it's just this looming risk, whether it be regulation or, you know, having uh, large amounts of capital dedicated to trying to make things like DeFi protocols fail. Um, it, it just makes me a little bit more appreciative of actually of the people that are dedicating their time and efforts to continuing to build and push the innovation in this space. And I think you guys fit right in that, um, right in that group of people that are actively at the forefront, trying to push the bounds of what is possible for DeFi. How can we maximize end user security while also providing them, um, safe, sustainable yields for the protocol and end users. Um, it's, it, well, I'm, I'm curious to, uh, to hear your thoughts on like where shade is, uh, in within privacy finance and also within DeFi. Um, and I guess how that makes you think about, uh, your next steps going forward as you bend, build out Shadeland. Uh, I think I think Shade is really well positioned, in particular because um, we are not on in this in this super hype crazed mode where people have these, these insane expectations, uh, which is good for short term token value, but is terrible for actually building a good product. Um, we have a we have a fantastic community, which is one of the hardest things uh, I think to to have in a in a in a DeFi environment, it's such a PVP environment, you know, to have the community that we have uh, is important. Uh, and then uh, all of that gives us a good foundation so that when these products start coming out, 
we have a, a good dedicated user base that will hopefully tell all their friends, bring them on board. Uh, they'll appreciate our efforts for good user experience. You know, they'll appreciate our efforts on things like user education. They'll appreciate our efforts on things like, you know, not giving predatory lending. So if somebody who, you know, inevitably someone who doesn't know how to trade on margin is going to go trade on margin. And in the traditional finance world, they celebrate that because that's free volume and free money. Uh, in our end, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a user who we could have kept for years, who is now never trading again. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so we, we have the right, the right attitude toward our users and toward our product. Uh, we have the right mindset, I think, to, to, to uh, taking advantage of how DeFi is shifting, you know, going from these individual protocols with many tokens to a interconnected set of primitives where that value, that causes value accrual for a single token. Um, that's something that the market needs and that the market is asking for and that nobody is doing except for us. Um, you know, privacy preserving DeFi, it's it's not out there. Um, it's We've got early stages on Secret Network with, with Secret, uh, Secret Swap and Sienna Swap, Sienna Lend, but uh, it needs more and, and Shade is a powerhouse and uh, is, is doing a lot to push that forward. Uh, I could go on, but I'll leave it at that. Obviously I'm biased, but uh, I, I love Shade. I think what uh, you said about the having a really strong community is super important for what Shade is trying to do because it would be very easy if each application had their own application unique token for people to focus exclusively on the the price appreciation and and growth of a particular application potentially at the um, at the detriment of another one and so the fact that the the protocol and the community understands that all of these dapps and primitives have to be able to work together to succeed they they might be able to succeed on their own like stake secret can probably be out by itself if it really wanted to but the fact that you can incorporate the value brought from stake secret into other uh, DeFi primitives and applications kind of within the shade ecosystem. Uh, they make each other better. And so I guess when thinking about systemic risks, you know, approach by the community, because I know shade protocol wants to be decentralized. You want to give a power and voice to your end users and making sure end users and like their goals for the protocol are aligned with the protocol. Like we all understand that we need this to be secure. We need this to be sustainable. We all have to work together uh, in order to build this ecosystem effectively that we want to exist in and succeed into perpetuity. Uh, so I completely agree with you. We have a phenomenal community. I'm also biased, uh, <laughs> huge fan of shade protocol, obviously, um, and the people that we've got here, but I'm, I'm excited to see the new members that continue to, um, join our community and see what, see what they have to, um, add in value and, and support. Yeah, Definitely. me too. I think, uh, one of the, one of the coolest parts about shade lend and the fact that there is no like unique application token is that it kind of removes that. Cause like all, all every other lending product I've seen in crypto has this it adds this element of PVP inside the community, which, you know, uh, it creates good dialogue sometimes, depending on how seriously you take competition. But at the same time, it really does, you know, it, may, it forces you to make decisions that you wouldn't otherwise have to make. So I'm loving the approach and I'm super excited to see how this develops over time. 
Yeah, I mean, coming from the inside, uh, I think you have great reason to be excited. Uh, there's, I'll leave it at that. There's yeah. a lot of cool stuff coming. <laughs> there is, yeah, and we will, uh, we'll definitely have you back on as, okay. uh, as we develop. I just wanted to thank you so much for your time and insights on the developments going on. Yeah, and just for anyone uh, listening, House of Shade is going to be at Decentral Austin. We're going to be covering everything that's there. S Beam. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you and the team are also going to be in Austin as well. Yep, the whole shade team. Sweet. All right, so might get a little more alpha drop in Austin, might be able to discuss some more things that you're excited about. I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Uh, but I want to thank you for joining us, S-Beam, uh, to talk about Shade Lend. I learned a ton, not, not only about uh, lending products in general, but just the what shade lend is going to offer what things we're already taking into account um how reflexive we want to be like obviously you want to have a really long runway and so in order to ensure that you need to taking things a little bit slower in the beginning um learning from other protocols that have succeeded failed um all of these things are super important and i'm very excited to see the end product actually released and be able to finally interact with it. Um, so for anyone that is listening in, we will make sure to include links to Shade Protocol's link tree, which includes all of their social uh, media uh, links. And we'll also um, make sure to include any other documents that were used to, to help inform us uh, for this podcast below. Thank you guys for listening in and look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks, Ben. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thank you to S-Beam of Shade Protocol for joining us on the House of Shade podcast. Make sure to check out the links in the description below to learn more about Shade or their lending product. And please help support the House of Shade in our mission by liking the video and hitting that subscribe button. Thanks, and see you all next time.